Pop Shield, a long-form discussion podcast about musical topics both past and present. I'm Gabe, and I'm joined as always by Dan. Hello. And Darren. Hello. You know, I like to start each episode by asking you guys if you've listened to anything interesting lately. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm just real excited for that uh, new Bob Dylan documentary about the uh, Rolling Thunder review. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, lots of Dylan, a lot of uh, bootleg volume five and uh, desire going on around here. Mm. I have not listened to much outside of what we'll be discussing today. Uh, I've been just so caught up in the Game of Thrones fever. <laughs> I just haven't been able to listen to any any music. Yeah, I suppose I should mention, or I should apologize, that we're actually a few days late on this episode, and uh, I think that was part of uh, your busyness. Not not totally Game of Thrones business, right. I, I assume. But um, I have been in a huge uh, Stereo Lab kick, because they recently reissued their second and third album, Tran- Transient Random Noise, blah, 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 blah long title, and uh, Mars Audiac Quintet. I had actually never listened to Mars Audiac Quintet before, and I don't know, I'm just like... I'm like loving them in a way I never even did before. Cause you know, they get into that like exotica. We talked about them on our, our old podcast that like kind of, you know, sample based, like kind of stuff, um, later on, but early on they have this like extreme kraut rock, like sister Ray kind of noisy guitar thing mixed in with that. And, um, I don't know. It's kind of blowing my mind this week, but anyway, let's get into today's topic. A couple weeks ago, as I'm sure literally everybody knows, Beyonce briefly broke the internet by surprise releasing Homecoming, a concert film and accompanying live album that document her universally acclaimed headlining set at Coachella 2018. Naturally, the album also earned rave reviews from seriously everybody, including Pitchfork's highest score in years, a 9.3. I thought they just weren't ever going to give a score like that again. Um, And its success, the success of this live album, got us thinking about the future of live albums in the age of streaming, poptimism, and on-demand video. So, we're going to talk plenty of Beyonce, but we're also going to try to figure out what Homecoming can teach us about where music, and especially recorded live music, is heading. Now, before we get started, we should mention that not all of us have watched the film, because we really wanted to try to figure out if this thing works as an album or not. But let's just try to describe this concert as a whole. What kinds of songs does she choose? Um, and I also want to t- get into that theme, but if we could just describe this set, what was it like? I mean, the set is sort of like, you know, the uh, the songs you, you, you would think Beyonce would play. It was all hits. You know, I'm not the biggest Beyonce fan. I, I've heard all their albums, you know, at least a time or two, but, um, you know, I'm not overly familiar with her, but I, I think every song on this concert, I at least... Uh, knew sort of well you know Uh, yeah I think it's uh, you could probably argue it's pretty career spanning right Um, we see Destiny's Child songs coming in um, and obviously a lot of Lemonade uh, some older hits like you'd mentioned some that were notably left off but um, for the most part yeah I think she she included pretty much all of her solo hits yeah I mean this thing is is enormous obviously it's like 40 tracks long and um you know it does feel kind of like a career retrospective i think that you know all the all the biggest hits seem to be here and you know i um like dan i'm not like the hugest fan but i feel like i basically knew everything and you're right we should talk about the guests because i think most notably you know we get um the other two members of Destiny's Child, Kelly Rowland and Michelle Williams, join for a little uh, medley of um, classic Destiny's Child hits. But we also have um, 
I don't know, Jay-Z shows up. I don't know if you guys know this, but Solange shows up just to dance during one of the songs. Um, oh, wow. So you don't actually hear her. Um, you've got this, I don't know, Jay Balvin guy. Um, you know, this kind of, I don't know, reggaeton, like Latin pop thing happens. Um, but most importantly, and this can help us sort of talk about the theme of the thing, is this absolutely enormous group of, um, I forget what she calls them, like the bees or the buzz um, oh, yeah, players the drum, or something like that. or whatever. We, we got drumline, we got horns, we got strings, um, dancers. Um, so, you know, if we can try to describe that theme, you know, it's basically this kind of like historically black colleges and universities vibe, you know, like this drumline, like this rich tradition of these kind of really celebratory dancing kind of things. But, you know, how would you guys describe the way these songs are kind of like, you know, mashed into this new vibe? Yeah, I thought it was pretty cool, honestly. It it took this from being, you know, just a show where she she played all their hits, you know, one after another, where she she made them like... um, you know, all co- all connect. They they're all sort of mm. um, reimagined to include like this this drum line sort of thing, rather than like electronic drums or you know just a regular drum. I mean that that stuff's still there, but it's it's much more built around this like buzz uh, drum line um, thing. I, I I thought it was like a, a nice way to tie everything together especially when you're doing something like career spanning like that you know it's easy to do when you're just touring off one album you know only playing lemonade and maybe a couple hits but you know she she truly does go from the beginning with destiny's child to you know her most current stuff so um you know it it gives it that that anchor well and it's really interesting that she does a career spanning set and manages to incorporate this like drum line Mm -hmm. throughout you know what i mean a lot of when you think of like a career spanning set, you almost just imagine just a, like a greatest hits album just being played out and yeah, you know, the different instrumentation that is required for all these different songs. But here it's just kind of all connected with, you know, the same theme. Like you have this, the, the drum line and the horns, like even on like the destiny's child tracks, which are, you know, notoriously very nineties, very thin sounding gets receives like new life with, uh, this drum line and then throughout you have like these moments of i mean obviously i didn't i didn't see the film so i'm I'm imagining there was a lot of visuals involved in the little snippets of her i don't know was she giving like an interview or something like kind of talking yeah. about the process of putting this together yeah it's basically like you know I, I did watch the film i think i'm the only one correct to watch it yeah, yeah. okay so it's like the um it's it, you know it's like uh oh, what's it? <laughs> the last waltz i don't know why i couldn't think of that um you know maybe the most famous concert film ever where we kind of occasionally go like behind the scenes to her setting this thing up and you know working really hard on it and being like stressed out and stuff um you know i have a lot to say about that i think those parts are pretty boring and they feel pretty um you know manufactured you know beyonce is like the kind of person who just you know she just like controls her image so intensely you know um and it's got this whole thing where it's like as if she's kind of talking like they 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 put an effect on her voice like as if she's like talking through the phone or something and you know it's like faux intimacy wait she was doing like she was doing that live no 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 this is like the you know the behind the scenes it's the setup of the concert it's like so just like multiple times many times actually in the middle of the show we just kind of like go to like this black and white grainy footage of like behind the scenes and stuff and she's like narrating something and um Sometimes there'll be quotes from, you know, different like feminist authors and stuff. But um, 
yeah it's kind of like a faux intimacy it's like it just makes it sound like um you know like the even the phone voice is like oh you're getting like this really close look into her but you know she's doing stuff like leading her dancers in a prayer and you know just stuff that like makes her look good basically um so yeah i didn't care much that much for that but to describe the actual show to you guys um it's basically like a huge kind of bleacher pyramid looking thing and it's just covered in people um they are you know obviously all coordinated you know dress wise and everything but you've got like these dancers you've got these horn players you've got these string players um you know you can sort of hear throughout the album that like the their stomps and claps and yells and stuff are part of it um and it's I gotta say, it's, like, pretty amazing, honestly. Like, because when she first comes out, it's sort of awkward because sometimes she'll have, like, some of the people just sort of sit there, like, perfectly still, like, they're statues or something like that. And that, but then they use this, uh, it's a great effect when, you know, something kind of crescendos and everybody starts dancing, like, together. Um, like, just this explosion of energy on the stage. And I want to ask you guys, you know, you were saying, Danny, you like the sound of of this um, horn stuff. Did you ever feel like it was a little bit, like, overstuffed? Like, maybe a little cacophonous? Because watching the film, you know, sometimes it's, like, it's, like, kind of amazing, like, how much, how many people, I mean, like, hundreds of people are on the stage, all, like, just moving. Um, but, you know, when you're listening, it sounds a little busy, maybe? Um, I, I didn't really think that, but I mean, you know, it sounded like what I think of when I think of like, you know, a drum line or a marching band or something. So I, mm-hmm. it didn't, it didn't strike me as like, you know, being shoehorned in or, or overstuffed or anything. But, uh, I, I mean, I honestly, I didn't realize that there was like a ton and a ton of people, you know, I, I, I would have guessed there was like, you know, 10 or something. <laughs> <Really>? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think it sounds like a huge group. Yeah, um, I was really kind of fascinated thinking about like just how this stuff gets recorded. I kind of always do that when I'm yeah, listening to like a yeah. live album. You know what I mean? I did think and, that. Um, yeah. I, I mean, honestly, and especially with like a drumline, because they're not obviously plugged into anything unless they had right. like you know the the horns had like little mics on them, and I, I don't know if they did, but um, you know, I was pretty impressed by how well like sonically I was able to kind of hear. It's yeah, mixed. The, it's mixed well, yeah. Yeah, you know the different horns and the and then the drums all like kind of together. Like it didn't sound like you know some live albums things just get very murky because there's just so much going on and you know things get drowned out. But uh, I, I wonder if there's overdubs and stuff, you know, on the on the record. Oh. You know, a, a lot of people in in like you know 60s, 70s when they d- did live albums, they basically play over them back in the studio. I don't yeah. know whether or not Beyonce did that. I know. But I'm, I'm not sure. Cause it, it sounds like sometimes like suspiciously perfect. She never I was thinking like out of that. breath. I, I was thinking the exact same thing. Like, cause I didn't watch it, but I, I, you know, was thinking about yeah. it when listening, like I know she's dancing a lot and the entire time. Yeah. I, I, if you just had me sit completely still and sing for <laughs> an hour and 49 minutes, I'd be out of breath. Um, but you know, if I moved at all, so I was, I was thinking yeah. that I, I wondered if there, cause there wasn't even like, I know, it's cut i know it is cut between two show you know there's two weekends of coachella yes, yes. but i mean i guess maybe if you don't make the same mistake in the same place you can cut from the other show but yeah i thought that like that she doesn't make a single like a misstep and in, in yeah here. you know it's kind of interesting because on the movie um they, they kind of use this actually in a really cool way because one weekend you know coachella is two weekends so she plays twice presumably the same exact set um 
And one weekend, everybody's like all of her dancers are wearing yellow. And the other time they're all wearing um, pink and her outfits changed between the weekends as oh, well. That's cool. And and they just cut like between them at will. And it kind of mm. makes like this really almost like psychedelic effect when, you know, like the beat drops and all of a sudden everybody's pink and dancing. You know, it's, it's kind of really, really cool. But um, it's interesting because sometimes you're like she's clearly not singing like to the track correctly um and you're like oh this must be the audio from the other performance um or it's an overdub and i'll never actually know you know but she does sound amazing honestly i mean you know don't like a lot of pop uh live like performances involve like just like a plain backing track playing you know what i mean like well you can tell that that's over it not really the case here okay okay i didn't think so but i mean there's definitely some situations but i i also assumed she had background vocalists, and she she does mention those. Like, she does. She, she certainly does, like, does credits yeah. or whatever. So, yeah, I mean, there's a huge team there, but I guess you're right. I, I guess I, I took it as sounding a little bit busy, but all things considered, you know, that you're recording a drumline who is actually moving around the entire time, and you're recording people's stomps and shouts and stuff. Um, it actually is like kind of an amazing technical achievement that right. they actually recorded this. Um, and yeah she's either there's either a little bit of overdubbing going on which honestly i don't care about or she's like truly the greatest live singer i've ever heard because uh <laughs> you know james brown sounds more winded than her on his live albums um <laughs> but i want to talk about this theme a little bit more okay because it, i think it's absolutely fascinating so this historically black college and university culture um this drumline culture where you know, throughout this set, she does a lot of, you know, the band does a lot of this like musical quoting, you know, like, um, like they would do at a pep rally, you know, like little, uh, at a football game, like mm-hmm. little teases of spotty, Odie dopalicious or like UGK or, um, Drake, you know, I, I notice, or, um, uh, we get like a little California love thing. You know, these are the kind of songs mm-hmm. that these drum lines play. Right. And, um, and, you know, I, I'm, I find this very fascinating for a, a whole bunch of reasons, but, on one hand, is it kind of impressive that, you know, I was trying to think of like, what if a rock band did this? Um, and just like in the middle of their set, they were just kind of like, they played like a few bars of like Led Zeppelin and the Rolling Stones or something. <laughs> Wouldn't you kind of just have the impression like, wow, I'm watching a band that's not as good as the music that they're quoting? Is it amazing kind of that Beyonce's songs don't feel overshadowed by all these other classics that she's quoting here? I think that the reason it doesn't feel like that is because w- with rock if you do that you're just covering it but but hip-hop and and everything pop is built on sampling Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. so you know it just seems like a uh, a much more you know recognizable sample than everything um so yeah i don't think it would work with with a rock band you know play you know if during uh don't uh stop making sense you know talking heads started playing uh you know (laughs) stairway to heaven you'd be like what the the fuck's going on but it makes sense here um because you know, it's built on one, like you said, the the um, drum lines and everything do that uh, naturally, and uh, just the the way the, the the music is built on sampling. Yeah, yeah, you'd have to do it in such a way that you wouldn't have to worry about drawing comparisons. You know, like if a rock band does that, you're almost immediately exactly thinking like, okay, well, he's playing the guitar and attempting to sing. You know what right, I mean? Like it's right, just, right. it's an immediate comparison. But if you do something like totally different, such as like Beyonce actually like handing it off to the strum line to sort of do that sort of thing i don't know it just it i went along with it i thought it was and i i took it as and again i I wasn't watching just listening but i took it as like a way for her to have you know breathers and maybe even costume change i don't know if she changes at all but that's how i took it this is really the genius of this set is like 
there are pretty good sections where she's like not even there mm-hmm. because she's doing some kind of costume change or she kind of like moves around a little bit. There's a point where she's like up on a huge um I don't even know what to call it, like balcony that gets like sort of raised like way above the audience. It's kind of like a, um, you know, St. Pablo tour ripoff a little bit. But, um, (laughs) you know, so she's she's kind of like doing stuff where she disappears. And I'm like, holy shit, it's actually brilliant that basically what she's done is brought in a bunch of people who are like the best in the country at just making people hyped like that's literally what they do they like yeah. do pep rallies and they do football games and they make people hyped as shit and that's why song you know like when you hear you know one of these like classic like just a few bars of one of these classic hip-hop songs these like southern hip-hop songs um what that does at a football game in alabama is just gets people fucking hyped and it's kind of genius that she doesn't even have to be on the stage and the energy does not fade whatsoever you know what i mean yeah, I mean it's it's brilliant. Um, it, it, I, I I I mean it gets you hyped just just listening to to the record, you know, sitting at your desk. You know, I, I imagine in a um, I don't know yeah, how many people are visually. at Coachella, but yeah, yeah, exactly. Like you know, when you're with a, a, a hundred thousand other people and whatnot, you know, it, it's definitely going to get you. Amped. I mean, I guess I will say, and I, I wonder how you feel, Darren. I mean, there are points where it's a little bit. Um, maybe a little weird in a in a audio context because um you know it's like there will be these things where the these little skits which i guess are part of the this kind of culture you know like these little kind of joking like bugaboo skits they're called um and there are points where like the drum line is just going and what's happening is like there's somebody with a baton and she's doing the most amazing shit where she's like throwing it 100 feet up in the air and doing like front flips and catching it and um just none of that comes across on the audio. I also thought about like, sometimes she does these like sort of pregnant pauses, you know, where it'll be like in the middle of a song, she like kind of interrupts it and then, you know, like just like holds it for a moment and then comes back in. And that stuff is like really great in a visual setting. Mm -hmm. But did you feel Darren, like some of the stuff was just not really translating? Yeah. I mean, it definitely, it doesn't, but I mean, if you've seen Beyonce, like her Super Bowl halftime performance, if you've seen any kind of performance of Beyonce's, I think it's not too difficult to sort of imagine what's happening. Like when she's sort of giving that direction about, you know, make me laugh and then like get yeah. going or whatever. And they start doing their like, sounds like a march of some sort. Right. Um, you know, I, I can just kind of imagine it, but it obviously it doesn't like land nearly as, as well as it would uh, visually. But, you know, to be honest, like I'm glad that that sort of thing stays on the live album. And this is something that maybe we can get into later, but like, I really prefer the live album to try to feel as Mm. real to the actual, you know, performance as possible and not just cut things out and just go song after song after song. You know what I mean? I I completely agree. I love a live album that is like one complete show. And I know this is, I know this is that, but over two weekends, which is, yeah okay yeah. It, you know it's, it's better but uh, like Not things my like reference either yeah like i love when it's like this is a concert that that happened but uh, you know yeah it, it, yeah you're right that that's my that, that that's my favorite thing about a live album because otherwise it's just you know when you have like a little cut up things most of the time it's like you're just you know it's a shittier than the studio version that way but you know when it's like when it's a whole show it, it, it's like a historical document at, at that point sometimes you know depending on the artist and everything yeah yeah you're right um the other thing that i find Actually, the thing I find almost most fascinating about this entire album, um, you know, in kind of she's basically putting her own, um, 
discography in the context of the, the these this drumline culture, this historically black college and university culture. And basically, the way that functions, like I was just saying, is they're playing like they they kind of play little snippets of like the greatest, you know, just the classic songs. Um, and there's this whole like very self conscious thing to this album, which is like this kind of celebration of black culture, right? Um, and I just like <laughs> I, I I basically am torn whether this is like a tribute or the most like hubris I've ever heard on record <laughs> because what she's doing basically is putting her own she's putting like her own uh, music at the center of black culture you know she's like basically brought on a bunch of people who are like literally they're professional like celebrators of black culture that's what they do at alabama football games and she's like at the very center of all of this you know is my music i mean isn't that kind of like astonishing (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean when you put it that way but i i don't I didn't really take it like that, you know. I I took it as like I don't know, maybe maybe like I don't know, when you say it that way, it's hard to it's hard to argue against you, but um I mean I didn't I, take I it that I way. can't I can't prove that she's wrong because in fact right. I think a lot of these yeah. songs maybe, yeah, are Yeah, maybe that's yeah, maybe that's part of it. But there's something about like you know, well, I don't know, before I go on, did you get that vibe at all, Darren? I mean, I totally can see where you're coming from and i like i agree but at the same time i feel like beyonce has like been positioning herself like this for a while now you know what i mean i think ever since um you know just that that whole vibe of like the beehive you know and i've I've, like i've come across individuals that i don't really know very well but you know they are so open about their adoration for beyonce you know what i mean that they will talk about it at any moment any given moment like co-workers whatever you know what i mean and like it was in yeah. those moments where i really realized that like gee like beyonce really is like the center of of the you know the yeah, this culture, culture this you're right, you're musical right, just, yeah. yeah yeah you know so she <laughs> that's the thing is like she might not be wrong but this is kind of like a bold thing to do um you know and I also, this is like a little, you know, this is like a little conspiracy theory type stuff, but, um, you know, on the cover of this album, she is basically, um, dressed as like Nefertiti, like a ancient Egyptian, um, you know, Pharaoh, Ferris. I don't know if that's a word. Um, and you know, so basically, and she does a little, like at the beginning of the concert, she's kind of dressed that way. And then there's something like kind of subtle about the way that the, um, the bleacher is, uh, is in the shape of a pyramid, you know? Um, and I'm thinking like, you know, that is a super Egyptian move actually to like, you know, because no culture ever was more obsessed than them with like their legacy and monuments to their legacy and celebrations of them. And, you know, I'm thinking like, is she kind of like pulling a Pharaoh move here? Like I'm going to basically create a giant monument to myself. And I think that's like the central tension of this album because the whole documentary, I'm like, uh, you know, I'm not sure I buy it, but she's like, obviously, is just talking about like, oh, this is a celebration of my culture, my dancers, like the musicians that are on here. Like, I just love them so much and I want to give them a platform. Um, you know, black music, this historically black college and university culture. Um, and yet it's all a celebration of Beyonce. You know, right. is it a tribute to that or is it a tribute to Beyonce? 
I get what you're saying, and I mean, I I do in one sense like agree with you. I think Beyonce is very um, like calculated, and it, you know, like mm-hmm. uh, her whole image, everything is like very everything is like thought over before anything right. happens. Incredibly self aware. Yeah, yes. exactly. But also, I mean, if she is genuine in that and she does want to celebrate, like, of course she's gonna like. What, what what do you want her to do? Like, just do a, a show of covers, you know? Like, what, her doing her own music, you know, that that's her music. What else is she going to play, you know? Do you get yeah. what I'm saying? I mean, I guess, you know, if if you really want to go, like, deep with it, I mean, every performance is this, like, at its heart, you know? Um, it really is sort of like a narcissistic enterprise to think that you should be in, on a stage in front of people, yeah. you know? Um, <laughs> but... There's still something like, um, you know, and, and I'm not trying to like criticize at all. I think it's actually really interesting because um, Kanye obviously has taken this to like its heights. You know, he, um, you know, will be on a pyramid, like an enormous pyramid, and there's like angels carrying him and <laughs> he's declaring himself a god and stuff. And, you know, so Kanye is like basically just 100% self aware. The weird thing here that gives me like just this slightly queasy feeling is that like Beyonce is not being honest about it yeah. as Kanye is. She's like pretending like it's a celebration of black culture when it's a celebration of her. And, you know, it's it's I'm really not trying to like give a value judgment to that. I just think there's something so fascinating about the fact that she chose to dress as an Egyptian pharaoh on the cover of her album. Um Maybe it's like, oh, black history, but, you know, but maybe it's, you know, I run this shit and I am the queen, you know, bow down bitches, as she says. I mean, she does like, you know, they do literally like refer to her as Queen B. So, right. you know, and I'm sure, you know, she had something to do with that. So, it's well, she, not, yeah, she leans into it. She totally leans. Yeah, exactly. It, you know? She's not like, oh, you know, nah, come on, guys. <laughs> yeah. <You know? laughs> she, she, yeah, exactly. Bringing up Kanye is a good thing. Like Kanye at least comes out and says uh you know there's a famous interview where uh the guy asked him like what did you mean when you said i am a god and he said i i told you i am a god you know at least like he comes out and and says it to your face where like you know maybe beyonce's just dressing herself up like a you know it's symbolic egyptian god you know yeah exactly like it's like you have that little bit of an exit uh from it you know but uh yeah yeah and then you know on another level um throughout the album and I have a hard time kind of, yeah, the movie does this kind of too, but in a different way, because it like will show quotes on the screen and stuff, but it'll, it'll like play quotes, you know, from basically famous, um, feminist, uh, writers, thinkers, um, you know, like race scholars, um, you know, Malcolm X, I think is here uh, a little bit, Maya Angelou, those kinds of people. And, <laughs> you know, that again, if you're going to like, if we're talking about hubris, I mean, she's basically you know, positioning herself as being like among these people. I mean, she's really probably not wrong at all. Like, yeah, as far as her effect on culture, it's got to be, you know, I don't know. It almost, I feel scared to even say it, but you know, it's something like a Malcolm X or something. I mean, she's huge. She's like absolutely inspired so many people to like think differently about themselves and maybe think differently about police brutality or any other thing. But you know, there's like this whole thing about, Sometimes people criticize Beyonce, and you were just talking about it, for being, like, overly calculative and, like, really about her brand. And that she just, she jumps on, like, feminist issues and race issues when it's, like, financially 
tenable and not a moment before. And there's something really bold about being like, I am just like Maya Angelou, you know? Yeah, for sure. Because, yeah, I mean, how radical is that if you're just you're just there at the right moment? You know what I mean? And you're not Mm. the one kind of like leading the way or at the forefront or at the bleeding edge or whatever. Um, you know, and you, you, you mentioned Kanye and everything. I mean, look, just look at the, the two in terms of like their public images, right. And like how the general public views them, uh, you know, everybody pretty much like worships Beyonce, whereas they think Kanye is narcissistic and, you know, so into himself and like, no one really just wants to like him. Right. Right. Um, right. So if Beyonce, so, uh, you know, it's just like it's a business thing you know what i mean like you're gonna sit down you're gonna sit down in some corporate office and you're gonna talk about beyonce as like the brand not beyonce knowles the person you're talking about the brand beyonce and what's good for the brand you know what i mean what would not be good for the brand is beyonce coming out and and like literally just saying like no i am a queen like i literally am a queen like you should all just bow down (laughs) right now i'm not gonna continue the show unless you bow down like something wild like that you know what i mean yeah yeah i mean i just think like the politics of this album are absolutely fascinating and um they're actually only fascinating because she is such a huge force of nature she is like an absolute icon Um, she's earned it she's totally earned it i mean every you know decision whatever business decision that they made look i mean look look where she's at you know it's a big deal that she's headlining or that she headlined coachella you know Mm -hmm. yeah that's That's i mean that's accident that's another thing that she's this is like the first black woman to ever headline Coachella um and there's um a lot of you know she mentions that you know she like mentions that in the show a couple times mm-hmm. she often you know says these kind of platitudes like shouting out like her strong ladies and stuff like that in the audience um you know so and i kind of have this theory i guess you know maybe this is too off topic but i have this theory that like huge like these mega figures of history like um you know i don't know anybody from like martin luther king jr to gandhi or something like that like you have to have a little bit of narcissism to like want to deal with the shit that you get for being like in the public eye like that and i'm i think that we need people like that in the world because personally if i if somebody was like we need you to like take all the shit that martin luther king jr took you know not to mention getting killed for it but I would be like, no, I'd rather just kind of like live a normal life. You know, I'm just not brave, <laughs> but you need to be like a little bit like have this drive to be king sort of. Um, so Beyonce's got that in spades. Um, anyway, to return to the album, um, do you, th- we were talking about like, it's basically a career retrospective. Is this more or less just a greatest hits album or does she do enough to like really revent, reinvent these familiar songs or I'll, you know, alternatively, is she really just kind of selling us, reselling her fans old shit? Uh, you know, I th- I think it's I, I think it's not just a greatest hits album. I think she does, you know, this whole thing with like making it fit this mold with the um, drum line and everything, like changes it enough that, you know, this is whilst while familiar something something a little new you know like like if you were at a party or a bar or something and you put on uh you know drunken love but you put on this version you know people will be like oh you know it's drunk on love but then they'll be like hold on you know some, something's a little uh, different about it you yeah. know like you would definitely like realize it's not just the straight um 
you know, one you heard on the radio or, or on the record, um, which I which I think, you know, is good. I like that on a live album when somebody just plays and even, you know, when you're just going to a show, like if somebody just plays it exactly like sitting at home listening to the regular record, you know, what's the point of a live album or a live show? And so I think, mm-hmm. you know, doing this, doing all this other stuff around it changes it enough to, to make it worth listening to, uh, you know, at least a time or, or two. Yeah, to your point, Dan, one of the worst, like, live shows I ever went to was Vampire Weekend, where I felt like they just simply played every song note for note so mm-hmm. perfectly along with uh. the records that they came from that, I mean, the, you know, it was entertaining, but at the same time, like, there was just nothing that made it feel, you know, like a genuine show here in Tampa or whatever, you know what I mean? It just exactly, give that yeah. kind of vibe. So, like, with Beyonce, to your question, Gabe, I think she does, I think she accomplishes, you know, uh, I think she does exactly what, you know, what Dan was sort of describing. Like, she doesn't create a Greatest Hits album. She actually changes up the formula for a lot of songs. And I mentioned before, those Destiny's Child songs. I mean, listen to Say My Name. You'll recognize maybe the first verse in the chorus, but then the song takes a shift. You know what I mean? And, and it shifts in a way that you've never, you've never really heard before. Still familiar yeah. with it, but making it you know very interesting um the song like run the world uh you know it obviously samples major lasers uh song but this time it's played by the drum line and even though it's like very similar to the original beat like you can tell it's the drum line that's involved in it and not just some backing track and that's important you know what i mean it just gives it a little more authenticity and a little more thoughtfulness to the to the theatrics of the performance i guess yeah, you know, I kind of felt like some songs really are transformed more easily than others, like because some of them are, are like highly kind of electronic um, pop esque, and sometimes it sounds to me like it's basically the backing track that a drumline is playing on top of. But other times, they really are successfully reinvented. And you're right, what you were saying earlier that just overall it adds like this kind of new cohesion to this body of work um, that really didn't exist before. And you know, I kind of think like part of the purpose of a greatest hits album is to kind of like allow you to reassess somebody's, you know, how like their entire career arc, um, in a new light. And this really does it because, um, you know, well, I guess, you know, I guess again, I'm like sort of torn because I was saying earlier, like, is this a tribute or is this self glorification? I'm also thinking like, is this like a bold artistic, um, reinvention of these old songs or is it selling old shit? Um, we should mention that there's 40 songs. A lot of times they're like quite short because it's just sort of like a mini mm-hmm. uh, piece of one of these songs. And I'm sure this has made a lot of big streaming money, you know, mm-hmm. as it, it just so happens that it fits really well in the streaming age and allows her to resell old material, you know? Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, somebody records an album like this or whatnot for money. You know, you you don't just yeah. you don't just do it, especially at the level of like Beyonce. You're not just doing it like because you feel like doing it. And I, I don't, I, you know, people talk about selling out and all that crap. I, who gives a shit? You know, like <laughs> if, if somebody, you know, I, I make drone music. If someone was like, hey, you know, I'll give you a million dollars to write the you know shittiest pop hook I, w- I would do it you know um yeah it, so I, I i don't i don't think that that's that's a negative at all you know i good for her you know <laughs> yeah i mean the only thing i would say and this even i keep going back to destiny's child because it you know it sort of felt like like a little forced you know like they just she's just sort of like parades 
the uh, former members of Destiny's Child out just for a couple of like very quick songs, like cause to celebrate same, her. Yeah, because say my name is like <laughs> it's there, but, but it's like it's I think, over in an instant. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, that's sort of like the thing with like Coachella and stuff, though. Like I, I think the headliners always sort of, uh, you know, uh, like supposed to or expected to kind of bring out. Um, surprise guests and everything like ariana grande yeah. just this past one you know brought out like in sync except jt and you know even kanye brought out like push a t and stuff when he headlined coachella in uh 2010 yeah. you know it's just sort of like I, I don't know if you have to do it or you know but it's at least sort of expected yeah there's also sort of like a weird attention span thing like i was watching the coachella live stream a couple weeks ago and um you know, these artists will, like these pop artists, they'll play like just like 30 seconds of their hits, you know, like in rapid succession. Mm-hmm. Um, it's because I, I think it's, especially at a festival where people, those people like, you know, when you go see a band, you know, if Beyonce was coming to your, your local stadium, you show up an hour before she gets on stage and then you watch Beyonce. These people have been standing there for <laughs> like true. two that's fucking true. days. Uh, you know, yeah. everyone's <laughs> tired. It's hard to... Uh, you like keep the energy up and so I think when you just like keep throwing out little morsels of like songs that like you know because when, when you're at something like that and a big song that you know right when it comes on you know you get really excited but you know four minutes yeah. later that excitement's worn off but if you just keep rapid fire you know 30 seconds here and there it keeps the crowd hyped yeah and and that's just and also you got to think at like these festivals people aren't just necessarily there to see the headline. You know, if you go to the stadium show, those people paid to see Beyonce. You know, someone here, they might have, like, just gone to Coachella to go to Coachella. They might have gone to see someone else, but, you know, Beyonce's there, so they'll see it. There's also, like, kind of a pop, um, hip-hop problem, which is that... There are so many guest appearances yeah. on every song that you can't do it's awkward thing. to just play like the yeah the whole thing and just have like I don't know over the speakers just somebody else's voice rapping so they just kind of like play the half that they sing on um you know so I don't know they're working it out but I did want to you know in returning to this idea of like recontextualizing old material um again to get political sorry I think it's pretty interesting Well, I want to ask you guys, do you have a problem with this at all? Where basically what she's doing, she's taking stuff like Destiny's Child, you know, Crazy in Love, like these kind of, some of these early hits, and she's basically positioning the whole set as if the purpose of her music has always been to celebrate black culture, right? So like, we go from, you know, we go like from Crazy in Love into... Like basically pre pre woke Beyonce into woke Beyonce, and then we 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 even have like um like a a a, a hymn a spiritual um African American spiritual lift every voice and sing you know again like just my songs are just like these spirituals you know um and is it fair to basically now that she's woke um, which happened I don't know around two thousand fourteen fifteen or something again maybe some would say when it was politically um tenable you know financially tenable. Um, to then pretend like she wrote crazy in love with black culture in mind and not just to be like an early 2000s pop song about her boyfriend. I mean, I, I think you're overthinking it a little bit because, <laughs> because yeah, obviously, you know, it's not like some big political song, but if she wants to pretend it is now, you know, yeah, who, who cares? Let her, let her do it. I, I, I get what you're saying, but I, I think it's overthinking it uh, quite a bit. <laughs> 
I mean, uh, I imagine at this corporate Beyonce meeting where all these <laughs> people in suits are there, they're thinking about they pick this theme out, you know, for the for the performance, and then they think about the track listing and they try to find ways to change some of these older songs so that they are you know, fall in I, line. You know what I mean? I, yeah, yeah, that's a good point. And you know, nobody, I, I don't think any like big artist, maybe any artist has like, you know, from, from the beginning of their career to, I, I don't know how long's Beyonce been around, you know, 15 years or so like not change you know had a had a like artistic vision you know right from the get-go and never wavered from it you know that that just that just doesn't happen you know i mean plenty of artists you know prince david bowie you know their first few records suck and you know and they're they they're working into it and everything but you know you wouldn't say oh you know now that bowie's cool he's you know trying to work in yeah, I don't know, space oddity or something, you know, into this grander scheme. You know, I, I think it's just, it's okay to pretend you had some big vision when you didn't at this point. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I it's mildly I'm... disingenuous, but, uh, you know, it's one of those things that I, I feel like, yeah. But, you know, I would prefer to pass. see, the, I would prefer to have the songs transform so that they could be included instead of being cut because exactly exactly old or whatever yeah 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 you're right i was just you know uh, yeah okay you know i'm just sort of like thinking about this because i think it's um i think it's a bold thing to do and i you know i I know like people certain pitchfork writers would probably say that like just the fact that like a i don't know just like the mere existence of like a song by a confident black woman or something no matter what it's about is a political sort of a statement um or has a political quality to it anyway um so i could i could easily be persuaded that in fact destiny's child songs always did celebrate like black sisterhood or something like that but um i just do think there's like a real interesting kind of like positioning here that kind of like that, that maybe corporate thing that you were talking about um Okay, back to the album again. Sorry, I keep getting, I keep going like off into, into uh, <laughs> stuff that's going to give me trouble. As a live album, okay, let's pause for a minute to talk about what makes a live album great. Is it some of the stuff that you guys have been talking about, like reinventing or what? Yeah, I mean, like I said, I, when it just sounds exactly like the studio record, but recorded a little worse, that's boring. That, that, that's, you know, that's for the hardcore fan, if anybody. I, I like a live album. I mean, like I talked at the top of the show, uh, you know, like uh, Bob Dylan, he, every tour, he like completely reinvents the songs. Whereas, like, if you played me uh, a track from a tour, I could pretty much tell you what what tour it's from. You know, Rolling Thunder sounds away, 66 sounds yeah. away. That's what makes it interesting. That's what makes, you know, me search out bootlegs and, 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 and shows, you know, that aren't officially released and, and everything. Um, whereas, I, I mean, in the Grateful Dead, same way, you know, they, they play a different set every night. They play, a, you know, a song this way one time, you know, and that's the only time it'll sound the way it sounded. Like, those are what make an interesting live record and not just, like, something to make a little extra cash or, or, or whatever. Um, yeah. I, I, you, gotta, you gotta make it, like a new i mean it's always going to be for like a you know maybe not a hardcore fan but at least somebody who's like more into it because you know say you're just 
yeah, I, I like a couple Bob Dylan songs. You know, I got the greatest hits. You don't care that in 66 he played, you know, uh, Mr. Tambourine Man this way. You know, you don't give a shit. Um, right. But, you know, if you're just a little bit into it, maybe you will. So they're always like sort of that next step of fandom. But uh, I, I think okay. I think the, depending on what you do to it changes it between, you know, a big fan to, to hardcore fan only. Hmm. What do you think, Darren? Are they like are live albums just inherently for hardcore fans, kind of? Um, I mean, I think so. You know, I, I think that's what they're often designed for. Um, you know, I I think it goes both ways. I think there are definitely some live albums, probably a lot of live albums, that are designed to just be like a greatest hits, and you know, not really give you a true concert performance rather just resell you the same songs just yeah, you know, yeah. recorded live um to me the best live albums just like kind of dan w- was describing you know are the ones that like really try to immerse you into the show you know like letting you in on like the audience sounds mm-hmm. um the in-between uh song banter whatever might be happening just to kind of you know immerse you like obviously you don't have to listen to like them tuning every single after every song or whatever. And like the, you know, the true amount of time that it takes for a concert to go through, but you know, any level of banter, any little extras at the end of a song or before a song, I think are great. Yeah. Banter Um, is a good, is a good, you know, I didn't, I didn't mention that, but yeah, banter is like something that really (laughs) makes a live album for you. And sometimes it just gets lost if you're only plucking out like the best songs or best performances of an entire tour. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And yeah. I kind of hate that. Like I would much rather just stick to one show, maybe two shows if I absolutely have to, because I want to get the feeling of like that particular night, even if the performances were yeah. not as good. Yeah, or whatever, I, I, you know, in a live but album, like, I like a, a bum note here and there, or a you know a slight misstep, sure, yeah. or you know a, a, a forgotten lyric. It, it it makes it feel like you were there, you know, because you you know anytime you go to a live show, something goes wrong, you know, something goes wrong in a performance, and so it makes it it makes it like you were there. Yeah, but what about you know? Maybe we shouldn't spend too much time on on you know going outside of the realms of this topic, but. You know, basically, like there are certain live albums that we can all agree transcend that the thing we're describing, right? So I was thinking a lot this week about like Nirvana's Unplugged, which is one hundred percent essential. It's mm-hmm, not yes. like a uh, Nirvana fans only kind of live thing, like uh, that other one is from the Muddy Banks of whatever, Wishka. whatever. Um, right. So, you know, what makes a, a live album transcend that? And I'm trying to, you know, sort of get at like. Is Beyonce successfully doing that? Is she trying to do that? I mean, I think if you look at Unplugged, you know, to use an example, that one features the songs are in a different way than they are on the record. You know, they're True. quote unquote acoustic. And then, check. like Darren said, lots of banner banter on uh, on that record. Check that box too. Yep. True. You know, and Beyonce does both of those uh, on this. You know, I, I like Unplugged more. But maybe it's just because I like Nirvana more than I like Beyonce. But I think oh, yeah. I think she she does do those things. You know, the songs are it, different. It also kind of feels like she's she's talking to the world and rather than like the, the people, people in the in room. The, but in the room and by room we mean like a field that had exactly. like literally a million fucking people. But um, you know, in, in a sense, like Nirvana is also talking to the world, like. Because it was for a program that goes out to the world. It's not like, hey, for the room, you know. So they they sort of took extra care. Is that what's going on, Darren? 
Yeah, I mean, for well, yeah, for sure. I mean, listen to any of Nirvana's other uh, live albums that have been released, and I can only think of maybe one that includes a whole lot of banter. You know what I mean? Like uh, from the Muddy Banks, if I recall, has none of that. In fact, yeah. just sounds like. I got suckered into buying an album for like, <laughs> right, live exactly. performances of songs I already knew. Um, but, I, I mean, immediately when I started listening to this, my, my first time with this Beyonce record, like, it checked those boxes that Dan just mentioned with Nirvana. There was banter. Um, it felt like a single performance. There was, like, in-between stuff. The songs all kind of, like, had changed, so they were at least interesting to listen to. Um, and to me, that's, that's like, that's essential to creating a live album that's really worth, you know, more than one listen. Yeah. Yeah. Gosh, I'm really just kind of thinking about this in, in real time because I didn't intend to go so deep on it, but it is interesting that, you know, cause I'm thinking about like Nirvana's live at Reading, which is also kind of amazing. And yes, it might be that it's because it was designed for like a huge audience, not just like a one stop on a tour Mm -hmm. um so there's like kind of the care that goes into that um and so but then i'm thinking like you also can't like retcon that you can't like just take your favorite performances over the course of a whole tour and arrange them into a live album and make that a classic like it's just never really gonna be a classic Mm -hmm. it has to be like the planning stage was intended to like make a big statement with this live performance and you know nirvana did that uh, Beyonce certainly certainly does that here and actually the documentary you know gives you a lot of insight into like that pressure that she's she's really quite conscious of um so yeah so that, yeah that's kind of actually fascinating maybe that would make for like a whole a good whole episode one day <laughs> but in terms of this this is not my theory um I think I heard it from Stephen Hyden but I think it's absolutely spot on and brilliant um our live albums like the future, the future of making music economically viable, you know, because greatest hits albums are basically dead. Um, I think we've talked about that before, which the music industry must fucking hate because they cannot sell you the same shit over and over again. And in a sense, reissues are almost dead. You know, they can't, they don't, I mean, they still kind of do, but like these expanded reissues, um, it just almost doesn't even make sense. Like in a digital streaming world, just like greatest hits albums don't, um, and so if you could, if, if you could like, if bands, so basically bands like, you know, the Grateful Dead, Fish um, are, you know, it amazes me every time, but like one of the most financially profitable bands in the world. Um, uh, Autecker recently released like a huge batch of, of live recordings. Um, and it's like, you know, is this the path for sort of like music to make financial sense? You know, like and it doesn't even have to be cynical like i was kind of saying before like you need band or fans to like pay for stuff more than once so why don't you reinvent it multiple times you see what i'm saying yeah i think it i i get that and i think that's what's happening but i think it's better than the greatest hits record you know the greatest hits record they would do that that thing where they would take you know just eight nine songs that are you already have on a record but then they throw in one you don't have you know yeah Uh, yeah and then you got if you're a super fan they sold it to you because you got to have that one song or two songs or whatever uh but at least here if you're buying this i mean one it's just streaming so you didn't even actually pay for it and two 
you know, at least you're getting something a little different. You know, you're, you're not getting just drunk in love again, crazy in love again, say my name again. You're getting it right. in, a, in a slightly different way. It's, it's a similar, you know, concept, but I, I think it's, I think it's less shitty than the, the old standard greatest hits record. But can it be done like again and again? Is that kind of what you were asking, Gabe? Like, why not just yeah. continuously? Because like, you know, a band like Fish, right? They do this like, I guess, subscription model thing where, you know, because w- what they've done is they've really emphasized that every set is going to be different and things are going to happen once and never again because there's this improvisation there's this like kind of freedom there they don't even have it planned out when before they go into it they're just kind of like vibing and so you know the same thing with the grateful dead like fans you know love like listening over and over again and kind of hearing how these things get changed and and everything and you know it's it's kind of amazing to think that basically like you know uh Autecker sort of does the same thing which is a kind of amazing because they're an electronic group but they're adding improvisation into their performances and recordings in fact and so they can release like a huge batch of live recordings and fans hardcore fans want to hear them all um and the thing is you need in this world to like create hardcore fans again Mm -hmm. because streaming is so like disposable you can just like listen a couple times and then never see it again it's not like in your cd rack or anything um you need to create fans that want to hear your songs again and again, and they want to follow how you change them and evolve them. You know, just think about like a vampire weekend and actually I haven't really listened to their new album yet, but people are saying it's kind of like grateful dead inspired. I think it's more like just their, you know, those working man's dead type albums, uh, folksy sound. But imagine if every night vampire vampire weekend show was different, you know, wouldn't you be, be kind of interested in hearing what they sounded like? Yeah. I mean, I get, you know, I, I get super into thing. I, I become, that like super you know fan of of people and you know i mentioned it but bob dylan that's one i i have tons of dylan bootlegs i have all the Mm -hmm. you know shows he actually you know officially releases and everything and you know i like it because of that uh does you know what's different what's changed you know it's just like you want to uh like almost study the the music or or whatnot and you know autecker is another one i i have all those ae lives i've listened to them all yeah i continuously listen to them um they're a little different because you know it's a little easier to like tell what dylan did different night to night where you know when it's a bunch of fucking bleeps and bloops it it all kind of sounds different (laughs) um but you know like yeah you gotta create that super fan that's how you get money i mean i uh, every year Dylan releases you know one of these bootleg series and and gets a hundred bucks from me you know for for doing so um you know Autecker yeah. gets a hundred bucks from me for you know whatever they release um whereas you know but bands that don't do that I just stream online you know maybe I'll buy a record for 15 20 bucks or something yeah. you know it, it's and a if way you're to a make casual money. fan that's fine like casual fans will buy just the album exactly but like am I kind of phrasing it uh in a clear way Darren like you know, could more bands embrace like taking their live show really seriously, making it a unique experience again and again, and make music financially viable that way? I mean, yes and no. I mean, I, I fear that like you would oversaturate. Like, if Vampire Weekend tried to sell me on like doing something different for every show of a tour, I just don't think but, there but would be enough interesting things. Think about this. Think about if they like introduced all this improvisation and they sort of changed things up and they created unique experiences and maybe they even put a lot of effort into like 
you know, maybe not all the time, but like Beyonce here, where they stage occasionally like a big production that's like going to radically change and recontextualize their songs. Okay, so maybe they do that a lot. And you are a sort of fan. So you're just going to check out their studio albums. But you've heard that um, their concert in Cincinnati in 2018, you know, of July is you know, a contender for their best concert ever. It's must hear. Okay. So you like them enough to check out that one and you like it enough to check out. People also say their Chicago date from three years earlier is really phenomenal. So you at least are willing to check that one out, you know, and then the more hardcore fan you are, the more you want to check out. But it's like, this is like a huge untapped market and people just need to take, I I really believe people need to take live music more seriously because it is the future of selling music in the streaming era and the thing too in in streaming it doesn't really cost you anything to just pop that up on spotify you know like you don't have to print a record of it you don't have to print a cd of it you know i mean i'm sure you pay for mixing you know really to make it nice but like what does the what did this album beyonce's album cost to make versus you know what her studio records cost you know i'm sure that this one's you know much higher profit margin yeah, well, not counting the the show. Yeah, yeah. Well, but but, but she made ticket itself. sales for that, so I'm sure she made it back already. You know. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, Dan? yeah, for sure. And I mean, the more I think about it, you know, this is kind of falls in line with, uh, you know, uh, like game streams, right? I mean, people are making, right. people are paying money to watch people <laughs> play the same games over and over again, the same personalities. That's a good that, point. You know, they're they're watching it for a different experience, and they get a different experience each each and every time. So yeah, I could. I mean, people are paying for that kind of stuff, and sure. <laughs> I know. I, I we mean, should I've, just put out one album, just like 12 songs, and just, you know, recycle them and regurgitate for the rest <laughs> of our lives. Yeah, maybe could. I mean, you know, but I, I, just think, I just think it would be so interesting and actually like genuinely um, exciting, because I would love if a lot of my favorite bands like thought about live performance in this way. Um, I agree. I do. So, you know, what I want to ask about Beyonce... I find it quite interesting because, you know, we're talking about like Grateful Dead, Fish, okay, you know, so that's like improvisation, that's like guitar soloing, and people are like, oh my god, you know, the solo in like 77 Cornell, you know, is so great, you know. Um, not Dan, though. Definitely not <laughs> No. But like, Beyonce is is a pop star, and there's a lot of pre-recorded stuff even here. Um, that's why she can splice two performances together seamlessly, mm-hmm. you know. Um, everything's click-tracked, everything, you know. So, for this to be like the future, I basically wonder: like, is is Beyonce providing a blueprint for how pop stars can also get in on this kind of like untapped resource of selling people, um, reinventing new songs for hardcore fans and that kind of stuff? I think so. Or do you have to be Beyonce to do such a huge, you know, like reinvention with a hundred people on stage? I mean, I think you you have to be Beyonce to do it that you know big and grand or, or whatever. But I think it does open a door for people because you know if you think about it, like. Th- I'm, there are some, but like, there's no like classic live rap album, you know, because because no. because rap doesn't like lend itself to that to improvisation and, and whatnot. But like this sort of you know does open the door to it, and uh, even you know Kanye does have like a live album. It's it's called uh, a live orchestration or something, and uh, mm-hmm. it, you know he like performed with an orchestra, you know, like to to do it with like pop music or things that like yeah. aren't aren't 
quote unquote played live, you have to like change it to make it not just be the same thing, but the vocals are different, you know? And uh, so I think, I think she is sort of opening the door for it. It takes somebody like huge to show everybody else, you know, to, to one show the, the suits that, that hand out the money that, that this is worth making. And, um, you know, to get people in on it, you know, you, you gotta start with somebody huge. Yeah, I mean, it's crazy because it doesn't seem like too far out of an idea. You know what I mean? Like, if you had asked me before this Beyonce album came out, if you had asked me or Dan, it seems, you know, what makes a great live album, what we would have described is essentially what Beyonce did. You know, we may have missed yeah. some of the theatrics, I guess, in there, but uh, that's that's all part of, like, creating... An experience and like that's what i would have said you know if you had asked me that because i've you know i've listened to a you know fair share of live albums and the more i think about it the majority of those live albums in retrospect aren't very good again because they are just packaged as we have said like a greatest hits thing and it's not about the performance or the show itself it's just you know here's 22 songs from like 22 different dates or whatever um and then but if people like you know it's great that Beyonce's doing it but I feel like like you mentioned Gabe it's an untapped market I mean I think anybody could get into this and I would be very interested if you know I I don't know like you mentioned Vampire Weekend but like basically if anybody you know if somebody like Drake or if like Kanye like I loved Kanye's the the shows that we went to like I would love a Kanye like live album you know what I mean there was supposed to be a Yeezus movie there was a trailer and it Mm. never came out so (laughs) Netflix if you're listening please buy that and put it up (laughs) yeah you know we actually haven't mentioned another classic live rap album which is um when Jay-Z teamed up with Linkin Park. Oh, God. And uh, that's, totally that's reinvented live? his music. <laughs> I, didn't, I thought so. I didn't even know I it was so. live. I've never listened Maybe to Maybe it's that. not. Maybe I'm totally wrong. Um, Who cares? I think it's called Encore. <laughs> but anyway, so, all right. But I was kind of, I've kind of found myself thinking, you know, like listening to this. I was like, wow, this is so huge. Is it tenable for other people to like kind of follow this model? Um, and then I also found myself thinking, you know, because uh, I'm pretty disillusioned with the whole Poptimist thing by now. But... You know, how can rock artists even compete with this, with what this is? Because it's like, you know, watching the movie, especially, it's like people, you know, hundreds of thousands of people don't go to a festival to see like four dudes, you know, like (laughs) playing a guitar, you know. But anyway, so that kind of leads me to, um, you know, the other real big issue here is like, does this album work, you know, on its own? The the question, you know, it was sort of inspired. what first got me really thinking seriously about this album was, you know, Pitchfork makes this honestly insane point or what struck me initially as insane. Um, I seriously can't stop thinking about it, but basically about like whether albums need to work on their own or not uh, live albums uh, or maybe not even live albums, but they say homecoming doesn't stand on its own as an album experience separate from the film, you know, right there. I would sort of translate that as not a good live album. Um, But they say it probably doesn't need to. Beyonce and her sister Solange increasingly rely on visuals to paint a fully embodied and populated vision that includes music. Homecoming, an accompaniment to a concert film, feels as if it wasn't ever meant to be experienced in isolation. Okay, so maybe you disagree with that assessment of the album, um, that it actually does. It actually was meant to work on its own, um, as just like the concert film was. Um, 
But am I crazy that the originally the idea of a live album was that it should work without having had to see the show or be there? Um, is this a crazy point or do they have a point that, you know, in today's age with streaming video and easy access to what it would have looked like and increasing use of like visual albums? Um, are they making any sense? I, I don't think so. I mean, when you get when you review, you say you're reviewing the album, not the movie. You're reviewing the right. album, and you give it a nine point. Was it two? Nine point two? Three. Oh, nine point three. three. Yeah, you give literally it, the high. I tried to. I tried to find. I think it's the highest since um, Tame Impala's. Uh, what was it called? Currents got a nine point three back in like 2015. Nice. Yeah. See, so <laughs> it, you know, if you're reviewing that album. And you have that sentence in there. That's not a 9.3 review. I disagree with them. I think that because I, I didn't watch the movie and I enjoyed this record. Right. You know, I, is it something I'm going to continue to listen to in the future? Probably not. But I enjoyed the time I did spend with it. Um, not 9.3 enjoyed, though. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it, you, you, you either have to review the movie and you could say the movie's a 9.3. I, so I... That 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 whole sentence like really uh, ruins their their review. I don't I don't I don't get that at all. Yeah, I mean it's tough because like I agree that like this album does stand on its own um, as a total audio experience. I do think, like I mentioned before, though, you know, having some knowledge of Beyonce as a visual artist, whether it's music videos or some other live performance, okay, yeah, definitely yeah. helps inform this experience if i had yeah. not seen beyonce at all maybe it maybe it would have fallen a little flat some of those that's a good point section that's a rabbit hole you can go down here because they even admit right they're not even just talking about live albums they're talking about solange who just released like basically kind of lemonade style like music videos uh in a sense for every song or something like that on her last album and and so first off i, I really thought it was strange for them to say like they're implying like Beyonce and Solange are doing something new there when like in the nineties and eighties, right? Like music videos were so integral to the album Mm -hmm. experience. And so I was kind of thinking like, all right, so an album should stand on its own, um, especially a live album, but do albums ever stand on their own really? Because, you know, there's sort of like an aesthetic to the band, you know, to their music videos, uh, to what they look like, act like that. You can't, you can't like separate. Right. So, you know, if you I mean, think you, about, can't, like, you can't separate any like art into a, a vacuum like that, though. There's always going to be something, you know, you're always going to know, know something about it. I know. But it's like, like, think about like Nirvana's Unplugged again, right? Like, you can't listen to it without seeing that stage, mm-hmm. thinking about his suicide. I bet, you know, though, like, you know, I bet plenty of people that aren't as old as us have only heard the record though you know it's not like that unplugged performance is on netflix or, or anything you know it is on like dvd mm-hmm. I'm, I'm sure you can probably pay to stream it but i, I don't think it's just streaming anyway you know i i would i would argue that a, a decent amount of you know younger people probably haven't seen that performance well maybe maybe that's a different question but it's just kind of like for the for for our generation at least like the people who mm-hmm. declared it a classic. Um, it's inseparable from the concert experience. Like, would you agree with that, Darren? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think it, you know, it's a, it's a complete package and to separate it either just visual without audio or audio without visual is, you know, diminishing what she's trying to 
you know, sell to you basically. And I, I think even for me who didn't watch it, you know, I'm probably, you know, I probably owe it to myself to probably watch it as well. And it might just enhance the overall experience. You know what I mean? Like, I, I feel like, and you know, you guys hate it when I talk about K-pop, but like K-pop um, <laughs> is an industry that kind of lives on this idea of like selling you a complete package. Right. So it like right, right. practically manufactures all of its bands, its groups. Um, it has them always, every single song that comes out has an accompanying mu- music video and you, you have to watch the video if you, right, you know, right. if you really want to get the full experience and then they go on this like very brief like show like tour basically uh on all these like television shows these live music per- performances so like every song has choreography like every like it's just a complete package yeah, and the yeah. only way to truly enjoy it is to somehow consume all of it you know what i mean yeah yeah you're right and so so would you say that the, this is like a more modern development um like maybe that it's heightened like it was always there you always put out a music I- video and stuff but it's like just more it's it's like more in your face because you can go on netflix and like watch her film at any point so it's like it doesn't have to stand on its own because you can just you are now and we're we're now now we're talking about like full-length films we're talking about like lemonade where there's a music video for every song like that wasn't really a thing of the past you know before it was just like a single with one video now it's so much more yeah i mean i think it's it's modern in that you can it's much more like readily available whereas like before you know when we were kids or i mean even before we were kids uh you know you had to watch mtv all day and you know hope you'd see you know the video you wanted to see whereas now if i want to see the video for uh you know smells like teen spirit i could pull that up in less than five seconds you know um it's just it's just now you have the availability so mtv and vh1 whatever like wouldn't have played all of an album you know like lemonade like they wouldn't play an hour-long music video i mean maybe they would for somebody as big as beyonce but you know that would michael jackson exactly it wouldn't get in like rotation over and over and over again where you know so you kind of had to just do the one single you know here and there I think now that it's the same way we've sort of talked about, like, does the double album, you know, like mean anything anymore? Because there's no physical constraints on how much you can, you know, if you want to sit on YouTube and watch four hours of, of Beyonce music videos, you you can sit and do that where, you know, there, there was no, that option did not exist, uh, you know, more than eight, nine years ago, you know, even. Yeah. I just, I mean, I think it's like absolutely fascinating because it's like, you know, thinking back about like the economics of music and stuff, you know, especially live music, you know, it used to be like a challenge. You used to have to be like, okay, so this album, we have to like sort of play well enough or something for, uh, we have to like bring a unique experience to this so that people will actually buy this live album and not like just be, you know, not just get ripped off or whatever. And um, it's almost like, you maybe don't have to worry about that as much because you can kind of just like you can release visuals and just you know like ask people to watch that too you know you can be like well we're releasing this live album i'm afraid our performances aren't really that good that you would just want to listen to them (laughs) but we put up and especially this is true of pop music you know we put on the most amazing light show you know that you've ever seen and you're going to want to see this and then it, there's kind of like this weird manipulative trick almost because when you see it once, you never forget. You mm-hmm. know, I don't, I'll never be able to listen to Homecoming without remembering like visually that like sort of spectacular uh, pyramid of just people like, you know, writhing around. And 
you know, <laughs> there's something like kind of weird and frightening about the future of music. But I mean, think about Stop Making Sense, you know, Talking Heads. That's a record you can listen to, but it's also like the movie is all sorts of theatrical. You know, it's not just the band just playing the song. You know, there's all you know the big suit, the dancing with the the light stand and all. You know, like that is yeah, just sort of true. a eighties version of this record. You know, yeah, you're right. You know, yeah. like that that record isn't the best Talking Heads live album. You know, uh, that's true. I, I feel like that record without seeing the movie is not a classic. Yeah, you got to kind of like think back on the movie when you listen to exactly. it. Exactly. It's, it, it's, it's way more fun. It, yeah, I, I don't think if somebody just listened to that record, they wouldn't be like, oh, man, you know, that's a classic Talking Heads record. But I think we all would agree that that, that movie is a classic. Yeah. Hmm. God, see, I just I think uh, I think this Beyonce album, for some reason, it just like it makes me like question so many things I thought I understood about music. Um, But in the end, did you guys it sounds like you both enjoyed the album you think it's a good album i mean you know i like i said i'm not gonna keep listening to it it's not really like my kind of music that i i listen to all the time but yeah i mean it was perfectly enjoyable uh to listen to it at work a few times and and you know i didn't i wasn't ever like oh you know god gotta put this on you know it was perfectly enjoyable yeah i mean i i enjoyed it you know uh like dan i i don't think i'm gonna return to it too often you know i don't necessarily return to beyonce in general um all that often but uh but yeah i mean this this had all of the elements of a live album that i liked and i felt like you know beyonce put on a compelling show you know what i mean like i didn't yeah. really feel bored throughout it, it it's long you know like uh it's, it's super the entire long, yeah. thing is very long but um you know i i thoroughly enjoyed it i think it's got some of the best pop songs um of our times on it and i think she's an incredible performer i mean you know i i realize that it's cut from two different shows but like you also when i listen to live albums you always i'm always listening to like how well the uh the singer is able to perform especially against their original tracks and like beyonce is known for you know she's got an incredible vocal talent and uh some of her songs are like impossible to like sing and even for her she does kind of like take some you know like on that song like one of the last songs uh like love uh, on top love, yeah love on top is like an incredible vocal performance but you know what she actually does go through with some of like the highest notes like towards the end and like god damn like at the end yeah. of the concert to be able to do that is <laughs> she does yeah incredible yeah there's some, see that's that sort of does tie back to that like um Oh, this is interesting. I hadn't thought about that before. Because, you know, we were talking about, like, the Grateful Dead fish thing. It's like, oh, like, the virtuosity of the guitar solos and stuff. But in a sense, pop stars actually do have, like, a virtuoso quality to their music, which is usually their voice. And um, you could dazzle people with your, like, you know, those, you know, those, like, Christine Aguilera-style, like, vocal uh, Mm -hmm. fireworks or whatever. Um, And uh, you could have people being like, oh, my God, you got to hear the show in uh, Minneapolis um, (laughs) from this year because she does this thing with her voice, man. You know, so um, that is kind of interesting. But I I also found um, I agree with what you said, Darren, that as I was listening to this, I was kind of like I was kind of stunned. I mean, it is so long and there are a lot of absolutely classic pop songs here. I mean. This is another reason why greatest hits albums are useful because you don't really appreciate it while it's happening. And then when it like is all presented in front of you, like look at all the things this person did. 
and you're kind of like, God damn, this, you know, this woman has like at least, you know, like at least 15 of these songs are like, you know, would be like in the top, you know, 250 pop songs of the last like two decades. You know, did, did you have that feeling uh, of just being pretty kind of impressed retrospectively, Dan? Yeah, because you do. You do forget that like say my name was like such a banger you know like you and even some of the the, the tinier song you know that weren't quite as ubiquitous like yeah you, you sort of like until they're all in front of your face you know one after another it, i mean it's it's nuts to have a hour and 49 uh minute like concert where somebody who's not really you know that big of a fan knows 99 percent of all the songs you know like that 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 is very impressive yeah, when I looked at the track list, I was like, uh, I don't feel like I know like a whole lot of these songs. But some <laughs> yeah, of them, yeah, once you heard it, yeah, you knew it. Yeah, I felt the same way. I also have a little bonus question here. Um, do you guys think that Beyonce ever had a better song than Say My Name? And if so, what is, what is it? Or what is it, Lisa Contender? Uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, that's hard off, off the top of my head. Uh I, God, I, I, yeah. I might say that like drunken love is like a contender formation is a contender formation oh, might really be yeah song. formation yeah. might be better yeah. better but also is it just because like say my name feels like when i was in middle school you know <laughs> the nostalgia yeah you're saying or or just like you know it sounds dated it's an objectively like amazing song i think um but i, I was trying to think like damn she she kind of peaked then even though she you know this is all like a lot of great stuff but i was like damn i don't think she's ever topped say my name um maybe some people would feel differently um would you ever another minor question would you ever choose to listen to these over the original songs and is that even important i wouldn't hear because like i said i'm not that big of a beyonce fan but so like if I'm going to listen to Beyonce, you know, it's already sort of a rare event and I'm just going <laughs> right. to listen to the record. But but with live albums in general, yeah, I do that a lot, uh, especially with like Bob Dylan. You know, I know so many of those records like note for note for True, yeah. there's, there's not a single thing left in the record to like discover. And so that can make it like a little boring. So I supplement that by just listening to live versions that I, you know, might get a little surprise in. Yeah, I mean, sometimes, well, I guess to answer your question, Gabe, like, no, I don't think I would listen to the songs on here in place of the studio ones, largely because a lot of them are, you know, they they only have excerpts of the entire song, like, it's not even yeah. the full yeah. song. So I think if, if I was in the mood for a live album from Beyonce, I would just, you know, throw the entire record on. Yeah. Um, And that happens from time to time with, like, bands. We, we keep going back to Nirvana, because I think they're a great example, and kind of to what, you know, Dan was pointing out, that, like, you know the studio record so well. That sometimes you just want to change it up just a little bit and yeah. listen to something like a live album and get just a different feel, different take on mm-hmm. all these songs that you know so well. Yeah. And, I, you know, I kind of wonder if like you were talking about like Say My Name sounding a little dated or, you know, something like, you know, I, I would say that a lot of Beyonce's hits I, I really like and are like they're solid uh, additions to your banger playlist. Um, but... I would never listen to something as old as like Crazy in Love, you know, that like kind of early 2000s pop stuff. Like the, oh, like the original one. You're right, right, right. <laughs> and yet, I don't know if I would choose this live version, but I wonder if this live album would just kind of like give me a different perspective on Crazy in Love. You know, I wouldn't think of it as like a dated 
kind of early 2000s pop song i might think of it more as like you know one of beyonce's uh the modern idea of beyonce's songs like this woke you know like powerhouse um you know what i'm saying like because i was trying to find out like she's recontextualizing these songs and if you would actually think of the original crazy in love differently after hearing this then i would say she really succeeded yeah i think that's a really good point because i crazy in love is a good example of that because if you know throwing that song on i would not be that interested you know you've, you feel right. like you've heard it like a, a million times and it's you know it just hasn't aged all that well i think right. but man when i heard it here i was like okay like this is i can get down to this because it's at the top of the album and if yeah, this song yeah. if this song fails or falls flat then the rest <laughs> of the album mm-hmm. is in trouble yeah. but it you know it held it together yeah, that was actually really a, a genuinely thrilling moment in the movie because she kind of like struts out and it's like weird because like I said, like half of the people are just still uh, on her pyramid there. And then she starts doing crazy in love. And then, you know, when it goes to that, like, uh, 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 you know, like everybody starts moving. It switches from like yellow to pink. And you're like, you're like, am I dreaming? Like, how did <laughs> that happen? And you're just like momentarily stunned by how fucking spectacular it is i mean like it's i gotta say even like in the film those um little those little like uh documentary footage type parts like get quite tiring but um and it makes the whole thing kind of drag but it's like just i can really just sort of imagine that being there must have been absolutely absolutely stunning um okay so couple other things just to wrap up you know we talked about like will people kind of follow beyonce's lead would that be a good thing or bad thing um you know i guess we kind of touched on that but i was you know i was just trying to imagine like we've talked about this before um maybe a little bit but in some ways it's a shame that the greatest hits album has died because there are artists you know somebody like i think of like gucci Mane or ray schremert or something who are just so inconsistent um but they have so many like absolute hits okay and for some reason it's really hard to imagine gucci main making a great live performer you know <laughs> but if you could somehow like recontextualize all of his like greatest songs into one presentation you know um it would make these inconsistent artists it would like they, it would be a masterpiece you know yeah, I mean, I, as big of a Gucci fan as I am, I do agree with you, you know, like his and a lot of traps, like biggest problem is, yeah, like the, it's like the um, quantity over quality. And so, yeah, like if you had the greatest hits every five, 10 years and you just got the quality instead of the quantity, like, yeah, you know, they, they would be, you know, so much better. I think maybe, you know, someone like Gucci, I have not seen live, unfortunately, but I, yeah, I'm sure, you know, he's not the greatest uh, live performer ever. But I, I think maybe the playlist is is sort of where th- that kind of artist resides yeah, yeah. And, and takes over their greatest hits, you know? That's I, true. I, you know, especially with like Spotify, you know, they make those like, this is Gucci Mane playlist yeah, and stuff. That's true. You know, they sort of make the greatest hits. And since nowadays, you know, it doesn't get printed, uh, you know, to vinyl or, or CD or anything, it's just streaming. What's it really matter if if Spotify put together a, a, a playlist or if the record label, you know, quote unquote made a greatest hits album it would be the same amount of money you know streaming wise either way so i i don't know if it, it really matters for these artists that don't but you know have the spectacle behind it to like uh, warrant the live record 
yeah, I guess I can sort of, you know, sort of transition to closing thoughts here. You know, I think about like, I, I just think that because I had that that thing I was talking about where I'm just like, wow, I can't believe really how amazing her body of work is as a whole. Um, and I was thinking about, you know, like other artists and, you know, I would originally have thought that the idea of listening to a live Beyonce album would be very unappealing, you know, like Agreed. I can't imagine anything like almost anything sucking more than that. But I was thinking about like, okay, so, you know, like somebody like Rihanna, I bet I would have a similar feeling and I bet there are a bunch of other artists that I don't even rec- realize right now where if you just put their whole like body of work together, all this, all the highlights you would, I would be kind of like amazed, like, holy shit, like for the last like 20 years, this person has like just nailed it over, you know, so many times. This is like, like, I didn't realize they were a legend, you know, I just thought they were like kind of a pop star that's been around for a while. And, you know, and then I sort of like just thought that this album, it kind of presented this like amazing opportunity where honestly, I don't imagine like Rihanna being an interesting live performer in any way, but I do kind of believe that Beyonce has given like a a blueprint here where maybe she could pull off something spectacular and it would have the same effect of like kind of putting her, you know, putting her among the greats instead of just sort of like a, you know, because these are singles artists. That's just the world we live in, especially in the streaming age. And you know what I'm saying? Like that would almost be like kind of an exciting, cool thing. Yeah, I, I, I think those big pop artists are the people who could benefit this. Rihanna's a, a, a great example, actually. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, not only Rihanna's, like, uh, discography or, you know, career, whatever, of, of her own singles, like, she's also appeared on a lot of singles, so mm-hmm. it'd be really interesting if she somehow found an, an interesting way to, like, mesh all of that together, too, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you're right. And I think that Beyonce is, like, she has a uh, sort of celebrated guest appearance on that Mi Gente song by Jay Balvin, and... um you know, so she she does get to include that here as part of her body of work, which you wouldn't normally do, you know? Right. Um, you know, Lady Gaga, I think, yeah. would be a contender to yeah. to really do something interesting here, you know, with that format. If Drake put out, I mean, he's put out a lot of I, good albums, yeah. but if he put out like a, you know, three hour live album and it was just like <laughs> literally all of his biggest hits like done in the most spectacular, you know, like performed live at the top of that, like. Thing that's in toronto that he's sitting on on the cover of you know views or something like that like just something huge and spectacular you'd be like i cannot fucking believe how many classic songs he has i, I just think this is yeah. such a cool opportunity and not just for major pop stars but like we were saying the live album i really believe that um it could be a path for like indie artists to make actual money you know because they're not going to make money from spotify streams ever you know you have to be like beyonce size to like live off that mm-hmm. and but if they could like make dedicated fans and they could put effort into their live performances you know they could follow beyonce's lead a little bit believe it or not like beyonce could save indie rock is what i'm saying (laughs) can you believe it she really could that's that's (laughs) that's a hot take (laughs) we all have queen queen b to thank exactly All right, well, I think that's enough for this week. What do you think? We'd love to uh, read your thoughts on the air. You can email us the email, popshieldpod at gmail.com. Next episode in two weeks, and uh, we're talking tool. We're going, we're going back to high school. We're, we're, getting, uh-huh. we're getting ready for, uh, for the new record. <laughs> so if you like the show, help us out by subscribing and leaving us a, a five-star review wherever you get your podcast. Stay connected to Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. All that is at popshieldpod. 
and we'll see you in two weeks. See ya. So long. 